This is Jack Scallions. Would you join me for just a few moments from my heart to yours? What we do in this life is of paramount importance, particularly in light of eternity. Why we do what we do is crucial. There are three basic motivations that prompt all action, fear and duty and love. These are not operative one at a time in segments of life's experience, but they're interwoven. A mother cares for a child out of fear for the baby's health, an internal duty call, and at the same time a love for the child. Certainly love in any action is the highest of the three, while fear may be the lowest. Scripture explicitly states that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A reverential awe of God is the key element missing in the life of the person who consistently violates God's commands and man's laws. This is also true on an earthly plane when children rebel and in disobedience flaunt the express wishes of parents. A child's greatest fear should be that their actions might hurt those that love them. In the same token, parents are to fear provoking their children to wrath. Mix our duty, our fear, and our love in the same hopper, and our actions will measure up to God's greatest command. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, There is none other commandment given greater than these. These three motivations are so intertwined until it is impossible to differentiate the driving force behind any action. We all are heading for a reckoning with our actions. We will give an account one day of our words and our deeds. What will temper the degrees of punishment in hell or the degrees of rewards in heaven will be not what we did, but the reason we did it. Paul explained this to the Corinthian believers when he stated that every man's work shall be made manifest as to what sort it is. The word sort here carries the meaning of motivation. Legitimate service to God and to man can stem from illegitimate motivation. It is easy to fall into a pattern of habits while losing the right motive. Pride and self-glory can motivate even the best of men. Personal profit and self-gratification drives many toward the precipice. Even though the work accomplished may be defined as honorable, it is all in the motivation. I laughed to myself when I heard this story that illustrates my point perfectly. Alabama and Auburn were playing in one of the most crucial games of the year. Alabama was leading by five points with two minutes left in the game. Alabama had the ball 20 yards from the goal line. On the first down, Alabama's number one quarterback was injured. Coach Barry Bryant sent in his number two man. But before sending him in, Bryant gave him strict instructions. He was under no circumstances to throw the ball. He was to run the ball three downs, even if he didn't gain a yard. By that time, the game would be almost over and the defense would hold them. On the second down, Alabama was stopped cold. On the third, they gained a yard. On the fourth down, the quarterback turned to hand the ball off, but he missed the handoff. He broke out of the pocket and began to run and spotted an Alabama receiver open in the end zone. He couldn't resist the chance to be a hero, and he lofted a pass, which was intercepted by Auburn's All-American safety that happened to be the fastest man on the field. 
He pulled the ball in and headed down the sideline. All of a sudden, like a flash of lightning, the second-string quarterback caught the safety and tackled him on the two-yard line just as the clock ran out, giving Alabama the win. After the game, the Auburn coach asked Bear Bryant. He stated this, I've read the scouting report. My man is known for his speed. Your quarterback is known to be slow. How is it that he caught up with the fastest man on the field? Barry Bryant replied, it's very simple. Your man was running for six points. My man was running for his life. After dealing with people 52 years as a pastor, I conclude that people do pretty much what they want to do. I have yet to be surprised at the actions of unbelievers. After all, why would the unconverted world be incentivized by godly standards? To this date, however, I am amazed at many in the Christian community whose stated beliefs are compromised by their actions. The explanation has to revolve around motivation, that driving force that gets us out of bed, that pushes us past our abilities, and draws on a reserve that we do not know we have. Principle-driven living is always spurred by the triangle of motivation, the fear of the Lord, the duty of obedience to Scripture, and the love of Christ and the love of others. The old illustration of the donkey that plodded along because of the carrot held just in front of his nose vividly pictures extrinsic motivation. Contrast that mental picture with the thoroughbred racehorse, nostrils flaring, hooves pounding every muscle straining because he was born with an intrinsic motivation to run. Mindless involvement in activity, even religious activity, is of little difference than the common motivation of the unsaved world that seeks profit and wealth and power and self-gratification and pleasure. Motives are the key to a righteous, determined, acceptable life, or else we, like the Pharisees, do all the right things for the wrong reasons. Motivation defines the process that initiates and guides and maintains behavior. We love Christ, so we keep His commandments. We fear the Lord, so we act accordingly. We recognize responsibilities and duties to Him, and so we carry them out. I read of David Livingston, who made the topic of motivation clear to the students of Cambridge in a speech in 1957. Most expected Livingston to have less than a charitable response from the prestigious student body, but a holy hush fell over those present as Livingston, a living skeleton with a crushed arm limp hanging from his side due to a lion attack, began his address that day. Livingston was shut out of China, you see, due to the opium wars. While waiting, he met Dr. Moffat, who said he had, uh, he had seen in Africa the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary had ever been. Here's a part of that speech clarifying Dr. Livingston's motivation. For my part, he said, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifices I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice? which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view, and with such a thought. 
It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then were a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life that may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this be only for a moment. All these are nothing compared to the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. He stated, I never made a sacrifice. What we do is important, my friend. Why we do what we do is crucial. I want to thank you for listening to me today for just a few moments from my heart to yours.